Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We've been looking at the whole issue of telling ourselves the truth. And you say, what do you mean by that, George, telling myself the truth? Well, remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago that our tendency is to look at others around us and judge ourselves based upon how others are doing. If we ourselves are doing better than they are, then we think we're okay. And so we often find ourselves into the comparison mode where we judge our spirituality and our walk with Christ based upon the fact that we're doing better than the other guy who maybe isn't walking with Christ or the other guy or gal who's doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And so we think we're okay and we get into that comparison mode and that trap of I'm okay. But the reality is is that God does not, when He looks at you, compare you to your neighbor. He doesn't compare you with the person on the other side of the room or the person in front of you or the person who's not here. When He looks at you, He compares you to Jesus. He sees how Jesus is. And we all know that Jesus is perfect. And when you compare yourself with the perfect, you then realize that things aren't right in your life. And so that's what we mean by telling yourself the truth. We need to tell ourselves the truth about how we really are and who we're really at. And it's really important because here's what happens. If you're a Christian for a long time, like for instance for myself, I've been a believer now for 23 years. In that time, you can get to the place where you think you're okay and you're really not okay because you know, you've known Jesus for a long time and really... There aren't very many issues anymore in your life that you need to deal with or struggle with, or you think there are very many more issues that you need to deal with in your life. And so you think you're okay because you're not doing all the bad stuff. I mean, you're here. But the reality is, is that's not what God looks at. And so what do you mean that's not what He looks at? When you go to Proverbs, you don't need to turn there. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, he gives us a list of things that, in fact, I'll read it to you here. Here's what he says. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. And that word abomination means disgusting. There are seven things that are disgusting to God. And so then he gives us this list of sins. Now listen to him. A proud look, that's pride, we talked about that last week. A lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. That's what he hates. That's what's disgusting with him. And when you and I put our lives up against that list, how are we doing? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not doing really well, are we? And so that's what we've been looking at here. Last week we looked at the issue of pride, the proud look. Today we're going to look at two of these seven today. We're going to look at the lying tongue. And verse 19 says, a false witness who speaks lies. And so we're going to talk about the issue of lying today. Lying. 
In fact, there's a couple things I want you to see about the scope of the problem because what I want you to do is I want you with me here in a moment, I want you to say this. I'm a liar. Everybody? On the count of three. One, two, three. I'm a liar. Now, how many of you had a problem saying that? Be honest. A lot of you did. Well, here's the scope of the problem today because what I want you to see is, is that we all have the problem. I want you to see, first of all, we live in a culture that embraces lying. We live in a culture that has embraced lying. We live in a culture right now that says it's okay to lie. In fact, if you were to talk to most people, most people would say that lying is okay in a lot of different circumstances, so long as, and it's the important thing, so long as nobody gets hurt. You ever notice that? And so long as nobody gets hurt. We live in a culture today where it's okay to lie. We, it doesn't matter that our politicians lie to us, so long as they do what? Get the job done. It's okay for you to fudge on your taxes, so long as you what? Get the job done. It's okay for you to lie on your time cards. It's okay for you to lie to your boss or to lie to your employees. It's okay. Because why? That's culturally acceptable, isn't it? In fact, we just expect everybody to lie to us. We live in a culture today that has embraced lying. Now, the second thing I want you to see about the scope of the problem is this. Biblically, we are all liars. So you had a problem here a moment ago when I asked you to say, I'm a liar. And a lot of you said, I got a problem with saying that because in your mind you're thinking, I'm not a liar. But I'm going to be honest with you. Biblically, that is from the viewpoint of the Bible, every single one of us here are liars. Because here's what we do. Because what you may not realize is that in some of your lies, you have rationalized them to say that they're okay. So, for instance, let me give you a biblical perspective of what lying is. Lying, my friends, is everything from, for instance, exaggeration. How many of you have ever told a story of what happened and you've kind of exaggerated the facts? You don't need to embellish it a little bit, you know? You just kind of added some things to the story to make it sound good. That's called exaggeration, my friends. That's lying. How many of you have told half-truths? That is, you've told the truth, but you've only told partial truth. You've kept some facts back for a purpose. That's lying. How many of you have basically told little white lies? Remember, those are those acceptable lies that we like? The little white ones? That's still lying. In fact, here's another form of lying that doesn't even require you opening your mouth. It's called being silent at the right moment to convey something that's other than the truth. To give the impression to others that everything's okay when in reality it's not. You're what? You're lying. You're lying. We're all liars, aren't we? Biblically, let's be honest, we're what? We're all liars. So let's do it again on the count of three. Say it as you mean it because you got to tell yourself the truth here today. One, two, three. I'm a liar. Isn't that true? We lie. 
What we do is, is we make what? Excuses for it. We rationalize it. But the reality is, is that what? I'm a liar. And what do we know about it? God hates it. So what are we going to spend the rest of our time? We're going to look at the whole issue of lying today. We're going to examine that whole issue of lying and understand why God hates it. Understand why do we lie? And then understand the consequence of it. And understand that really, you and I need to come to a reality where when we think about telling a lie, we have to break it down into two things. That number one, we need to either in truth, or we're going to exist in consequence. You say, what do you mean consequence? Well, we're going to see it from the passage. So that brings us to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at the life of David and look at a lie and look at the devastation of it. The first thing I want you to notice is the manifestation of lying. We'll see it in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. Here's what he says. Now David came to Nob, Abimelech, the priest, and Abimelech, when he met David, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? So David said to Abimelech, the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I sent you, or what I have commanded you, for I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand and whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in fact common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, and there was no bread there but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of the herdsmen which belonged to Saul. And David said to Abimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Here we see an incident from David's life. And the reality is just to kind of set you up for what's going on here. Remember that David was one of the mighty men to Saul. He was Saul's back son-in-law. And Saul begins to be jealous of David. And he tries to seek David's life and to have him killed. And so David flees. And in his fleeing of running away from Saul, he comes to Nob, which is a community where the tabernacle is, and he goes to the high priest and he says, Look, you got any food for me? I need some food. You got some bread here. And the priest says, Look, why are you here? Why the haste? And so David then lies about the situation in order to get food and then also in order to get a sword so that he can go and take off and run from Saul. He gives himself into a situation where he has to lie. So I want you to see several things here about the manifestation of lying. First of all, we feel that lying is the only option. 
When you and I get into a circumstance, and it may be a circumstance with a family member, it may be a circumstance with our boss, it may be a circumstance with a friend or whatever, we find ourselves where we're caught in a situation, and notice David's caught in a situation because the first thing that comes out of Abimelech's mouth to him is what? Why are you here? David now feels that the only option for him, and you can see why he would feel this way, because the king wants him dead, is to what? Lie. You and I find ourselves in circumstances all the time where immediately the first thing that comes to mind as far as dealing with the situation that we're facing is is that I've got to what? Lie. I've got to tell a lie. I've got to get myself out of this circumstance, not draw attention to myself. I've got to tell a lie. And that's what's going on here. And so I want you to notice something here is that lying then is not necessarily a bad option because why? Lying accomplishes its short-term purpose. Lying accomplishes its short-term purpose. So here's what David does. David says to Abimelech, well, you know, I'm on a secret mission for the king. In fact, it required me to get moving immediately. And so I didn't have time to get any provisions. Do you have any bread here? And so the king says, well, look, we have some bread here, but it's the bread that we have in the holy place. It's the show bread. But you know what? I'll give it to you, but we need to make sure that you guys are okay before the Lord, that you're holy, that you're consecrated, that you've not been with a woman, and that you're okay. And so David says, we haven't been with a woman for three days. We're okay. We're consecrated. So he takes the bread. The other reality I want you to see there is this. That as he takes the bread, he says, you've got a sword here. Because, listen, you can almost read through it. As you read the passage, it doesn't make sense. If you're on the king's business, why didn't you take your sword with you? He says, you've got a sword here. And what? The priest says to him, yeah, we got Goliath's sword. It's yours anyhow. You killed him. Go ahead and take it. It's only one here. See, lying will accomplish its short-term purpose. Lying will deflect the attention that you don't want from your life at that moment for a short term, won't it? It'll give you what you need. In fact, here's what happens. Usually what happens is, is one lie will usually lead to what? Another lie. And then another lie. And then another lie. And it's real easy to fall into that because we feel, again, going back to the first point I made there, we feel it's the only option. We feel it's the only way to help us out. And we'll rationalize it. We'll say, well, you know, if I tell the truth, somebody will be hurt. I don't want to hurt anybody. Or we get into the pattern where we lie so much, it doesn't really matter. But here's the final thing I want you to see is this. Because I want you to notice with me, look at verse 7 and notice what it says there. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day to tend before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, the Edomite chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. The next thing I want you to see is this. We do not consider the consequences. We think it's the only option. It'll give us the short-term results that we want. But I'll be honest with you, when we fall into that trap, we don't consider what the consequences are. Now I want you to notice what that verse 7 says there. Here's what's interesting about that verse. Here's David. He's fleeing from the king. He goes to the priests at Nob. He goes to the holy place. He's looking for bread. He tells a lie. He gets what he wants. But then the writer tells us in verse 7 that there was a guy there who's witnessing all of this, a guy by the name of Doeg, who's a foreigner, an Edomite, 
who is serving as King Saul's chief herdsman. And I want you to notice something there because this is what I want you to see. Look what it says, verse 7. Detained before the Lord. Detained before the Lord. God allowed him to remain behind. Why? Because you and I need to realize that there are consequences. What are the consequences going to be for David's life? We'll see here in a moment as we go on and we look at the consequences of lying. What I want you to see is, is that God wants you to understand is that somebody else may be deceived. Somebody else may not see what's going on. But the reality of what you and I need to grasp is this. That God sees. And He's not happy with it. He's not happy with it. Well, you say, well, come on, George. He's running for the king. He's got to get some bread. He's got to do what he's got to do. Listen, my friends, who is the one who said David would be king? God. Who is the one who said, I will put you on the throne? God. The issue comes down to whether or not we want to believe God and whether or not we want to believe our own strength. That's where lying comes from. Lying is a reflection, we talked about it last week, of our pride. Lying is a reflection of our pride and our self-centeredness of wanting to be in control and thinking that we have to do this in order for us to what? Stay in control. I want you to notice the consequences. So turn over one chapter then to chapter 22. We're going to look at six, verse 6 through 23. And notice what goes on. When Saul heard that David and men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Galbeah under a timorous tree in Ramah, with a spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you a field and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servants against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Now look at verse 9. Remember this guy? Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Abimelech, the son of Ahiatub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And the king called Abimelech, the priest, the son of Ahiatub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahiatub. And he answered, Here am I, my lord. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you had given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of the Lord for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Then Abimelech answered the king and said, Who among all your servants is faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of, of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Abimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards and stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand 
also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell me that the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. The king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. And so Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priests and killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children, nursing infants, oxen, donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. Then one of the sons of Abimelech, the son of Ahiakub, named Abathar, escaped and fled with David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. Now look at verse 22. And so David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me and do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be saved. Here's what I want you to see about the consequences of lying. First thing I want you to see is this. Lies are always exposed. You and I need to grasp that reality because it's so easy. You know, I had a friend one time who said, lying is an abomination unto God, but a great help in a time of need. And that's how we live, isn't it? We will easily lie to protect ourselves. We will easily lie to get ourselves out of a jam. We will easily lie. We'll easily lie. You and I will lie. We're liars. That's our very nature. That's our sinfulness. But I want you to understand this, is that there is a reality that you and I need to understand about lying, and that is this. No matter how much you lie, no matter what you've lied about, eventually lies will be exposed. It'll be exposed. If it doesn't happen in this life, we know that the Scripture tells us it'll happen when we go to be with Jesus, when all things will be brought to life. Lying will be exposed. It always will be exposed. And here's David. He thought he could get away from it, but there's this guy, Doeg, the Edomite, and guess what? He sees, and you think he's going to be quiet about it? No. Because it serves his purpose to what? Expose the truth. And so that's what happened. Lying will come about, but lies will always be exposed. The next thing I want you to see about lies, and this is what you and I need to grasp if we're going to understand the consequences of it. Lies result in devastation. You say, oh, come on now, George. I understand in David's circumstance and his situation that when he lied, it resulted in the death of 85 priests. Not just 85 priests. Remember what the Scripture said. It resulted in an entire village, women, children, oxen, animals, everything living, being killed. I mean, that's extreme, isn't it? That's extreme. And you, you might be saying, I understand David's lie resulted in death, but you know what? My lies aren't resulting in anybody being killed. Yeah, but they do result in devastation. See, you don't understand. See, lies will always... This is the nature of sin. There are no good sins and there are no bad sins. All sin is what? Bad. And so when you and I engage in lying, there's going to be devastation. It may not be that first lie, but it might be the second lie that does you in. It may be your lying that is reflected in the life of your children and then you have heartache and pain because of what? Their lies. You see my point. Lies will always result in devastation. This is why God hates it. There are consequences. And the consequences are devastating. But I want you to notice the final thing here about the consequences. 
And that's with regards to our view of lying. And this is what I want you to see. We must take responsibility for our lies. We've got to take responsibility for them. Listen, when Abathar comes to David and says to him, Saul has killed my family. He's wiped out Nob. David doesn't say, wow, man, that guy Saul, what a bad guy. Boy, that's no wonder I'm glad I got away from him. What does David say? I saw Doeg there. I knew when I saw him that he would kill Saul. The reason why your family's dead? What does David say? Because of Saul? No. He says this. It's because of him. He took responsibility. Listen, if you and I are going to start breaking the cycle of lies in our lives, because let's be honest, biblically we're what? All liars? We have to what? Take responsibility. We've got to begin to take responsibility for ourselves, for our lives. That's the consequences. That's the consequences. Here's what I want you to think about as we close our time. Number one, and this might be hard for some of you because some of you, you don't want to admit it. Because, listen, we live in a culture, this is a culture here in our community where we want to be known as men and women of our word. Is that not true? And so for someone to say to you that you're a liar, that doesn't sit well. Is that not true? It doesn't sit well to be referred to as a liar. And you know what? It doesn't sit well, does it? Because that really goes against the grain. But I want you to see the first thing here, if we're going to understand what we're talking about here, is recognize your tendency to lie. Every one of us has it. Recognize your tendency to lie. You, you say, I'm not doing the ball face lies, but maybe, yeah, you're not doing the ball face ones, but maybe you're, what, exaggerating. Maybe you're telling half-truths. Maybe you're not saying anything, but by your silence you're conveying something that isn't true. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe you're just telling the teeny little white ones. Phone rings and you've got call display and, and your child answers the phone before you've got a chance to say, don't answer it. And you tell them, tell them I'm in the shower. I'm outside. That's what? Recognize our tendency to lie. Here's the other thing recognize the devastation that lies create. Because here's what we do. We deceive ourselves. All we think in terms of is the short term. Well, if I lie, it's going to get me out of this circumstance. If I lie, it's going to get me out of this initial problem. If I lie, it's going to buy me some more time. But what you and I need to understand is, is that we need to recognize that lies cause devastation. We need to start thinking in terms of long term rather than short term concerning our actions. That's true not just for lying. That's true for everything. You and I need to consider more than ourselves when we lie. We need to consider what do our lives do to the people around us? What am I doing to my relationship, my marriage? What am I doing to my friendships? What am I doing to people around me? What am I doing to the cause of Christ? Recognize that devastation that lies create. And then finally, tell yourself the truth. You know what the biggest lie that we need to come to grips with? The biggest lie that all of us may fall to here is the lie we tell ourselves by saying that we're okay. Tell yourself the truth about who you really are. And the only way that we're going to find victory, listen to me, the only way we're going to find victory is not through deception. The only way we're going to find victory is by what? Telling ourselves the truth about who we really are.
and telling him the truth. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.